some people think crowdfunding is a way to gather a crowd. But for me, what I've learned over time is that for the most part, crowdfunding is more just a vehicle or a tool to mobilize the crowd you already have. So if you think that crowdfunding is some kind of magic bullet that all of a sudden, because you've launched a crowdfunding campaign, it will gather a crowd of people that have never heard of you or don't care about you, that's not correct. That's not correct. It's more about bringing together the people that are already in your tribe. Hi, there are you boys and girls out there in podcast land. Welcome to Radio Film School, a radio documentary anthology series about filmmaking, cinema, and the pursuit of passion. Every week, we bring you personal, passionate, and sometimes provocative stories from filmmakers and artists all over the globe. Stories that will help you mature as an artist and find more fulfillment in your craft and career. Today, we have our second installment of our Making a Documentary miniseries. At the end of part one, a couple of weeks ago, I said that part two would be about working with your spouse. I'm going to save that topic for later. I think it will be a better topic to address once we finish the feature film I'm working on with my wife. So today, we're going to look at crowdfunding. Now, this is a topic that is particularly germane to my situation because we're only a few weeks away from starting our own crowdfunding campaign. If you're even thinking about starting a crowdfunding campaign, you've got to listen to this episode. I've interviewed quite a number of filmmakers over the years for both my podcast and my blog about how to have a successful crowdfunding campaign, and even I learned quite a few things from this interview. But before we get started, just want to remind you to subscribe to the show on iTunes. It's those descriptions that will keep you updated on every episode, and it really goes a long way to helping our show get found. Also, last week I had the pleasure to be a guest on the FCPX Grill. It was actually my third appearance on that show. Now, even though the podcast is normally about using Final Cut Pro 10, a huge chunk of that particular episode was about production and post-production strategies for being a nomadic filmmaker. If that's of any interest to you, you should go check it out. It's FCPX Grill. I'm sure you can find it in iTunes. Okay, that's all the boring business stuff out of the way. There are a lot of things that we cover in this episode, so let's jump right into it. I'm Ron Dawson, and this is Radio Film School's miniseries, Making a Documentary. Hi, I'm Brett Culp, director and producer of a new documentary film called Legends of the Night. I've spent my career as a filmmaker capturing and sharing stories. For many years, it's been my dream to produce a feature-length film about the importance of our stories. That's the introduction to the crowdfunding pitch video for Legends of the Night, a feature-length documentary about how the story of Batman has inspired those living with debilitating or terminal diseases. It's a very moving, emotional, and inspiring film that Kevin Smith himself said was one of the best quote-unquote Batman films he's ever seen. Kevin even had the film's director on his hugely popular podcast, Fat Man on Batman. That director was my good friend and colleague, Brett Culp. We've had Brett on the show before a few times, and he always has some of the best sound bites. 
As you know, this show is all about curating a small collection of the best sound bites from a myriad of interviews. But every now and then, we stick with one long interview, and this miniseries is pretty much like that. Brent has recently wrapped up his third crowdfunding campaign. He said successful campaigns with both Indiegogo and Kickstarter for Legends of the Night. This third campaign was for his current film, Look to the Sky. For that film, he used the Generosity.org platform, which is an offshoot of Indiegogo designed specifically for nonprofit organizations. The information he shares about that is also particularly eye-opening. There are some amazing gems in this interview. I particularly like his explanation about the differences between Indiegogo and Kickstarter and why you might pick one over the other. This is an episode where you just might want to take notes, or at least listen to it a few times over. So let's get right into it, shall we? Here's Brett Cope and yours truly talking about the crowdfunding. When I embarked on crowdfunding for the first time, it was 2012, which was, you know, not the earliest of early, but it was still, you know, crowdfunding, Kickstarter, Indiegogo was still kind of fresh for a lot of people. And so I crowdfunded uh, Look to the Sky, which was our first documentary film, feature-length documentary film. You mean um, you mean Legends of the Night? I'm sorry. What did I say? Look to the Sky? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry. I'm neck deep in editing, so my yeah. brain is a little fried. No, no so, worries. So in, in 2012, uh, we made plans to produce our first documentary film, Legends of the Night. And – you know, crowdfunding, even though it wasn't brand new at the time, it was still new enough that it kind of had a freshness to it. And there was kind of some excitement around it. And a lot of people had not participated in it or didn't really understand it very well. Right. Um, particularly those that were not, you know, living in the tech world. And so, you know, it was it was exciting to do it and it was exciting to talk about it on social media just because for a lot of people, it's like, whoa, this is really cool. What a neat idea. You know, um, I, you know, it, they were part of something and it really felt special. Um, you know, in those early days, I, I'll talk from back then because your question is in regards to back then. You know, what I think the core of crowdfunding at the end of the day, some people think crowdfunding is a way to gather a crowd. But for me, what I've learned over time is that for the most part, crowdfunding is more just a vehicle or a tool to mobilize the crowd you already have. So if you think that crowdfunding is some kind of magic bullet that all of a sudden because you've launched a crowdfunding campaign, it will gather a crowd of people that have never heard of you or don't care about you, that's not correct. <laughs> That's not correct. It's more about bringing together the people that are already in your tribe. Now, I had this unique opportunity with Legends of the Night because that film was connected to Batman in some way. It was kind of exploring the impact of Batman. And so because of that, I was able to extend beyond my own community, beyond my own crowd – and go into another crowd, which which is kind of the other thing I've learned about this process is that with any project, you have to identify as early as you can and as accurately as you can and as narrowly as you can who your real target audience for this movie is. Because the two crowds that you have to leverage are, number one, the friends, family, 
contacts, business connections, filmmaking, con- all the people that are already in your group, that's the first half of who you can get in touch with. But the other half is the people that care about what you're doing, the people that either want to see it come to pass because they have their own personal reasons for seeing this story or this product or this idea brought into the world or because they want what you're offering. They want to own a DVD of this movie. They want this technology product to exist and have it in their hot little hands as soon as possible. So so that is the second those, that's the second group. And so the, the more quickly you can clearly and discreetly identify that group of people and then start to build authentic relationship with them and connection with them, the better off you are because those are the people who have the highest likelihood and probability of helping you get your campaign off the ground. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely one of the things that I've heard from a number of the filmmakers I've interviewed is uh, really know who your audience is and who it, who are going to be, like, like you said, to build that tribe ahead of time um, leading up to when you actually like pull the trigger on it. Um, yep. When you, you talked about like your extended crowd being, you know, the fans of Batman, did you do specific things to reach out to that crowd that you weren't already connected to? Yes, yes. I found um, the top forums and websites for Batman. Um, and there are, you know, a, a, a handful of them. I mean, there are probably for Batman, there are probably, I mean, they're endless number, but there's probably 10 of them that are well, you know, uh, well trafficked, that have their own forums, that have a lot of activity on their Facebook and Twitter accounts. Um, and And then. Um, there are a lot, and then there are, you know, a few that are at the very top of that. And so, yeah, I reached out to them very actively in the months before and started to tell them, you know, here's what we're working on. Here's what we're about. You know, I gave the top, what I considered at the time to be the top Batman site, Batman fan site, the opportunity to debut the trailer on their site when we launched it. So it actually debuted on the website Batman on Film, and so because it, dot com, Batman on Film dot com, so because it was kind of a scoop for them, they pushed it a little harder. And frankly, I didn't care that I gave them the scoop; it didn't matter to me. I was just going to release it two minutes later on social media and Kickstarter and everywhere else. But it gave them a little bit of bragging rights, which you know encouraged them to really push it harder. And that was an amazing kind of jumpstart to the thing on the day it launched. Um, and, and it was also a bit more of a credible news source as well because of the way they were launching it. So, so yeah, I mean, you know, whatever it is that you're looking at, you know, the, the websites, the forums, the, you know, particularly any type of influence thought leader in that, um, in that area, you're going to want to try to build a friendship with them um, as quickly as you can. And, and what I've also learned about crowdfunding in general is that, um, you know, it's good to ask for help, but it's better to ask for feedback, which seems strange and a little counterintuitive. But, you know, I, I, when I was reaching out to 
those guys. And I did this on accident. When I was reaching out to those Batman fan sites, I wasn't just saying, here is my thing. Will you help me promote it? I was reaching out to them and saying, here is my thing. I would love your feedback on how to best connect with the Batman community. I would love your feedback about what you think will make this a successful project. I would love your input. I value what you think. And that always gets me more response than a, hey, will you do what I want you to do? And not only that, but it builds relationship because it it allows them to feel more invested in the project. It makes them feel valuable. And you get good feedback because sometimes they would say to me, you know, I would say, well, what if we did this? And they'd be like, no, that's that's going to sound goofy or that's going to sound trite or that was done by somebody a year ago or, you know, and that didn't work or, you know, they can tell you the, the buttons to not press, <laughs> you know, the things that have been controversial, the things that have, you know, and so if you can get those kind of people on the phone and say, you know, Hey, what do you think? What would make this work? What would make this go? You know, um, there are some things about this new project I'm working on. Look to the sky which, you know, at first I was really targeting the Superman community. Um, I was really actively trying to target these folks. Um, but for some reason, they are different than the Batman folks. And I've never successfully tapped in to the Superman crowd. Either it's not as voracious or it's not as um, active or... I've never found the right formula because I've not been able to – we've never had a source of funding and um, exposure from a Superman community like we got from Batman communities. So I'll ultimately own that and say, yeah, I probably didn't nail that with this as well as I wanted to uh, with this new movie as I did the last time. So I'm no expert at this. That's ironic because if I were if, if you you know not knowing anything if you were to guess okay which community would would be like the most open and giving between a, a Batman fan base and a Superman fan base I would say the Superman fan base versus the Batman fan base just given the characteristics of those two characters you know and I you know and that's an interesting observation for me I just thought it would have been equivalent I would have thought there would be equal kind of, I mean, I see as many Superman shirts on people as I see Batman shirts on people, frankly, when I walk around the mall or any public place. But this film with, I mean, we've done multiple campaigns, multiple press releases, multiple things, and it is never either. There's something about the project that the way this project is, is, is set that doesn't captivate Superman fans. Like Batman fans were drawn to legends of the night or, their fans are just different and I never have been able to tap into them in the same way. So I I don't know this film has more connected with the not-for-profit community um, and people who, you know, the charity events we did for legends of the night. Those are the people that have drawn to this, the ones that want to make sure that runs successfully. Those are the people that ultimately have really championed this film. What has been your strategy for choosing the, the crowdfunding platforms because you've kind of been on well at least three of them right i know you your yeah. first one was indiegogo then you did kickstarter uh, i think you're doing GoFundMe go for superman um like how do you decide which one you, that you want to use 
Yeah, so each one was for a different reason. So when we started with Legends of the Night, we did Indiegogo. And I'll tell you the main reason we did Indiegogo is because it was my first campaign. I was a little bit of a chicken. I didn't know what to expect. And Indiegogo has the option to allow you to keep whatever you raise versus Kickstarter, which is all or nothing. So if you set a goal on Kickstarter for $20,000, if you if you on Kickstarter raise $19,999 and the campaign closes, you do not get the money. It is all or nothing. You either hit the goal or you get nothing. Right. But on Indiegogo, you can set it to to keep whatever whatever you raise. So if even if you don't hit your goal, you still keep that money. Um, now for me, because it was one of those things, for some projects, if a project truly is all or nothing, like if you know your project is like, look, we need a minimum of ten thousand, and if we don't raise that ten thousand, this project is never going to happen. You know, if that's the case, you need to be on Kickstarter because mm-hmm. it's not fair to go on Indiegogo and let's say you know you need ten thousand dollars or it's not going to happen. You raise five, now you know the project's never going to happen, and yet Indiegogo is still going to give you that five thousand dollars. Well, that's not fair to those contributors because now. You've got a project you can't really complete. So for me, when we were first starting Legends of the Night, I would have been happy with any amount of capital to get going. Mm. You know, if I, I my goal was twenty, but if I had raised five, I would have taken that five and I would have gotten as far as I could have gotten, and then I would have figured out how to raise some more. And it mm. may have taken longer to make the project happen, but I knew in my heart that this project was not dependent on it, it happening was not dependent on whether or not I raised the twenty. I just changed the vision. So, you know, we ended up raising like 25 or something. We, we surpassed the goal. Right. Um, but then, you know, that went well enough and we were able to raise 25 with, with nothing that when we, when we raised money the second time to finish legends of the night, you know, at that point, then I had a really, I knew there was interest. I knew there was excitement for the project. I knew there was activity and we then had a really good trailer. By then, I was able to make a trailer, and so I said to myself, "You know what? Let's go all or nothing. You know, let's let's. Um, I think there's interest here, and I think the trailer is good enough that it will raise that interest." So we did. Uh, I think it was thirty, nearly thirty-two thousand dollars on Kickstarter was our goal, and we hit that number in forty-eight hours, um, wow. which is awesome. by far for us, for me the best I've ever crowdfunded. I mean, yeah. that, that was, that was pretty exceptional. Um, and so, you know, that was one of those things where it's like, man, I should have made the minimum $50,000, right. you know, something, you know, we ended, I think that campaign ended up raising 50,000, um, by the time it was all said and done, but you know, and everybody was like, Oh, well you should make up some stretch goals. And I'm like, well, I don't even know what I'm doing with this movie when I'm done with it. So I don't, I don't want to start offering stretch goals and then four months from now, once I realize what I actually want to do with this finished movie, I'm now locked into things that I wish I wasn't locked into. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, that was kind of one of those other interesting pieces of it is, you know, I was so busy planning not to fail that I didn't I wasn't ready to plan to succeed. So uh-huh. um, so um, that was a that was kind of a interesting challenge with that. But then when we came back to this next film in some ways I felt like we had a base of people, but in other ways I felt like we were starting from scratch. Um, and so I went back to Indiegogo for the first campaign for look to the sky. Um, 
And I was glad I did because we decided to go for a, like a shoot for the moon type um, um, goal of like, you know, let's see if we can raise all the money we need for this entire film in one shot. So we did a $90,000 goal and I was like, hey, we raised 50, maybe who knows. So we shot for the moon and, you know, we hit and you know, we bounced off the um uh, the stratosphere, the atmosphere, or whatever. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, we ended up at like twenty. Yeah. And yeah. so, you know, it was almost equivalent to what had happened before. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we raised enough to keep the project going, but it wasn't enough to finish. So now I'm running a campaign that I think the goal is eighteen. Um, it's on the Generosity platform, mm. which Generosity is run by Indiegogo, and the reason we're doing it on Generosity is because. Um, this film is being produced and dist- partially distributed, but produced through an, our, our not-for-profit, um, the Rising Heroes Project. So because we actually have a 501c3 um, that my wife and I started and we're running this film through it, generosity is an easy platform for people to you know, have tax deductions and get tax receipts and because we could register with it through a 501c3, there's actually no platform fee. So um, all we lose is the 3% credit card charge. And then if people, when they check out, they want to add a fee that helps generosity, they can, but it doesn't come out of my money. So if you're on Kickstarter or Indiegogo, you're going to lose like 8% of your number, which you have to account for when you budget because – you know, even if you say like well, the max minimum number we need to finish this project is twenty thousand. Well, no, it's not twenty thousand. It's twenty thousand. You have to add on that eight percent. You're going to lose <laughs> because you're going to lose eight percent. They're not going to send it all to you. So with generosity, we're only losing three percent. And if people who contribute want to pay a little bit to the site, they can. But I'm not losing that extra five percent that yeah. you'd lose on Kickstarter or Indiegogo. Yeah. So what you were saying earlier, Brett, kind of begs the question that uh why if if a person feels confident that they can raise everything why kickstarter over indiegogo yeah here's my sense if you feel confident that you can raise everything kickstarter is better because there's there's two reasons i think number one it creates a push and an urgency among the community because you're able to say look guys if we don't hit this number we get nothing. So if you believe in this project, help us find funding. Help us find people. Help us. It creates kind of this this sort of urgency push. But I want to come back to that because I have a caveat about that. Yeah, yeah. Um, I have a caveat about that, why that doesn't always work. Um, but, but the second thing that's good about it is that more than any of the other platforms – Because Kickstarter is curated, and what that means is before any project launches, they have a staff of people that look at the project, make sure it's up to specs, make sure it fits their rules and their code and all that stuff. The Kickstarter staff looks at it uh, before it launches. There are less projects on Kickstarter than there are on these other platforms. Because of that, Kickstarter actually has a community of people who are looking at Kickstarter, looking for projects to fund. It's like people looking through Amazon for stuff to buy. 
you know, like sometimes you just kind of sometimes you you type in like on Google what you're looking for in Amazon, but sometimes you're kind of looking through bestsellers and all kinds of stuff to see what new books you might be interested in. People look at Kickstarter that way. They do not look at Indiegogo that way. Nobody looks at it. I've never met a person or heard of a person that looks through Indiegogo every day. But there are people that look at Kickstarter like that. So, you know, for example, when we launched the Legends of the Night Kickstarter, you know, I went ahead and launched it the night before so that we could get all the links ready because mm-hmm. I wanted the links from our website and on the trailer, on Vimeo and YouTube. I wanted to have that link because Kickstarter won't give you the link to your live page until it's actually live. Oh, which I didn't know that. Frustrating. I, at least they didn't two years ago, three years ago. They may do it now, but I don't think they will give it to you to where you can prepare everything, all your websites and stuff. So we actually went live the night before, and then, but but we didn't, you know, have the right video in there. The video said, you know, trailer coming soon, or you know, it said things like that that were not. You know, so you couldn't see the trailer, so we could really premiere it and whatever. Well, I mean, I woke up the next morning with contributions in the campaign. Wow. I had not shared it a single time. I had not promoted it to anybody. Nobody even knew. I'd not sent out a press release, nothing on social media. I hadn't even told people on a vast scale we were, sh- we were launching it. Well, people that I didn't know just found it through Kickstarter and supported it. So that's the beauty of Kickstarter is that it has a built-in community it doesn't mean that that will happen to you, what happened to me, but it can happen. But it doesn't happen on any other platforms. Yeah, and what was the caveat you were thinking about earlier? Yeah, so here's the caveat is that, you know, the traditional ver- the traditional thought with Kickstarter is that this all or nothing thing creates some urgency. But going back to what I said at the very beginning of our discussion – I am finding over the past year or so that people are kind of starting to get burnt out on the crowdfunding campaigns. Um, You know, and I I don't mean people that are running them. I mean, people who are seeing them run through their social media feed every day. Um, You know, the, the fun, the excitement of crowdfunding, the intrigue has kind of passed a little bit, I think. And so, you know, it used to be that it was like, you know, you were, you know, launching out into space. You know, I mean, that's I think that's the way people some people looked at my campaigns early on, you know, in those early days, because it was like, this is amazing what you're doing. What a unique idea. We can all be part of it. We can feel like owners and all that stuff. Yeah. yeah. Now, now they're just getting bombarded by everybody and their brother who's running some sort of crowdfunding campaign support this kid, people who are running campaigns for stupid things like help me buy a car or, you know, things that don't, you know, uh, things that many people feel like, ah, this is a generation of entitled people. You know, they don't think they have to work for it. They think they can just set up a page and I'll pay for it. So there's a little bit of a, of a jade with people, a jadedness with some of this stuff. So it's harder to create that same sort of urgency and frenzy and excitement that there used to be. And I even think of a lot of, from a lot of people that I've talked to, that is particularly true if you have ever run a campaign in the past. 
So whereas people were very excited to support you on your first campaign, on your first project, sometimes when you launch the second project, they're kind of like, well, yeah, I supported you on that last project to kind of get you going. Now I, you know, I'm not going to do that again. And, and I don't even know that they do it consciously, but, but on an emotional level, it's not as exciting to support you a second time as it was the first time. So I think that's important to keep those factors in mind that, again, that urgency that used to exist with the All or Nothing campaign, people just don't get as, they don't get as frenzied about it anymore, I don't think. No, no, that makes sense, and that's it's kind of good to know. Um, I, I think it kind of you know also lends to the more the importance of having that tribe that could be that you already have that's committed to either you or your 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 cause, so that maybe that aspect of being burnt out is not as big a deal because they really believe in what it is that you're doing. That's correct. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. Yep. Um, yep. What are um, what were some of the, you know, quickly some of the learnings you, you've had from the fulfillment aspect of it? Because uh, oh, yeah. that's one thing you don't hear too many people talk about. You hear a lot of people talk about, okay, the raising the funds part. But now when you get to the brass tacks of, okay, now you have to fulfill all this stuff. Um, were there any really good learnings that you got from that? Yeah. So, I mean, this is one of those kind of things, again, where you're kind of like, um, you know, you want to you don't want to waste a bunch of time in advance by assuming that you're going to be a massive success. And then you're even more the more you invest sometimes in this belief, they're like, oh, my campaign's going to go viral and I'm going to raise half a million dollars. You know, sometimes the more you kind of set yourself up for. You know, when your first day you only raise a thousand dollars, and you're like, "Oh my goodness, you know, this isn't so good." Um, you know, when you're, you're you know your goal is like fifty or something, because that first launch at the beginning is important right. um, in terms of building kind of some social proof that there is interest in this project. Um, um, and so, yeah, but but here's here's what we did. So let me tell you what we did with Legends of the Night, so that you can know what not to do. So with, with Legends of the Night, we just said, you know, well, we're not a distribution company. We're not going to do this very often. We're just going to, you know, do everything we need to do. You know, we, we made the DVDs. You know, I think Disc Makers was the company we used to make them for us. And then, you know, we got prints made and posters, uh, you know, and T-shirts um, from the, from, you know, wherever we got them. And then um, we... We just kind of did all the delivery in-house, which was, you know, we put together probably a thousand boxes, you know, with friends just came over and we just put them all together and sent them out. Um, but the big issue with that was the postage thing. I mean, we just didn't understand that. I mean, I think Trisha went down to the post office. My wife went down to the post office mm -hmm. every other day with like, you know, 200 packages. And oh my gosh. They had to like do, they had to like, we had to like have a full time person stand up at the front and just like <laughs> weigh and package each one of them. I mean, it was, that was stupid. Uh, so I tell you that to say we never did that again. So yeah, yeah. what we're doing this time around is the same thing. I mean, I'm going to, I'm going to do, if you have a big campaign, and it really goes viral. There are these, um, you know, site, website services, apps that are well worth pursuing. I think like Backer Camp 
I think there's one called Backer Kit. I don't even remember the names of them anymore. But there, there are ones out there that essentially, you know, they connect to your Kickstarter campaign or your Indiegogo. They, they can integrate. They take all that data. It allows people, you know, it automatically sends out emails. It invites people to, you know, change their address internally within the system. It even, as, as time goes on, it offers them upsells. Um, you know, it's like, oh, well, you purchased this, and would you like to also add a poster to that for another fifteen dollars? Um, you know, at a discounted rate, you know, or whatever. There's things like that that organize. And then, I mean, we now have a, a distribution company. You know, it's like a warehouse, and th- these are everywhere. I mean, this is not unique. That just holds our stuff, and when orders come in, you know, even from our store, you know, as we sold Leg- Legends of the Night product through time. Right. Um, you know, we would just the emails would automatically go to them. They would box it up, send it, and we'd pay a fee for them to do it. That's worth every penny, frankly. Um, we did a lot of stuff ourselves, but having a company where you can just walk in there and say, "Look, here's all the product. Here is all the names and addresses, and here are the products that go with each one of them." You know, like an Excel spreadsheet. Right. Just do it. You know, yeah. it was worth. Having them, you know, box it up, package it, send it out, you know, and deal with, you know, if an address was bad and it came back or whatever. But I will say, I mean, it was so funny. Like, I don't remember what it was, but like three weeks ago, I think Trisha told me that somebody just filled out their survey on Kickstarter for Legends of the Night. Like, that was three years ago. And someone just logged into Kickstarter and filled out their survey to give us their address to send them their product. Oh, my gosh. You know what I mean? This stuff, it just – if you're successful – I mean I think we had 1,000 people on Kickstarter or something like that. You know, If you're reasonably successful, that's a lot of people. And when you got that many people, you're going to have a lot of knuckleheads. And so, you know, people that, you know, are like, I know this is supposed to be a Blu-ray, but can I get a DVD with my T-shirt instead? I mean, it's a (laughs) lot to manage. And so, you know, you just decide how much of that you want to manage on your own. But after going through Legends of the Night, we definitely, even though we ultimately are still handling customer care, uh, customer service, you know, Mm -hmm. that sort of thing on on this – um, and we're not paying a, f- we're not losing a bunch of money to that. We are having somebody else handle the shipping. Yeah, yeah. As a filmmaker, um, how do you, I mean, because you are a talented filmmaker yourself, how do you decide like which aspects of the process you want to hire someone else to do, and which aspects you say I'm just going to do myself, but still like paying yourself from the Kickstarter or the crowdfunding campaign. Um, how do you yeah. like balance that? Yeah, so I think there's a couple of things. I think number one is, you know, people talk about, you know, like the when you look at a Hollywood movie, there's mm-hmm. a million names on the credits. Right. And when you look at, you know, these indie movies, they're practically like making up names of people just to stick in the credits to make it look long. <laughs> you know, in my judgment, part of the trade-off is money, but part of it is also time. Yeah. You know, I mean, there's a level at which a lot less people could have worked on that Hollywood movie, but it would have taken four times longer. So, you know, I'm at the point now where, I mean, we're 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 developing an idea now that I was talking to Patrick uh, Moreau at Still Motion about, 
about another project I have in mind for the future potentially where I would work with people all over the country to help me film these stories and I would just kind of Skype in and do the interviews. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, there's talented cinematographers all over this world, frankly. And here I am flying every which way. I mean, I went to 16 cities for look to the sky. Wow. Well, there's, I mean, on some level you want to be there personally, but on another level, that's kind of an arrogance to be like, I'm the only person that could be there and get this right. Well, I'm coming to the point of watching amazing people's work and saying that's just not true. Right. And, so, you know, why did Look to the Sky take me two and a half years to film? Well, because I did it myself. I went to all these cities. I, um, you know, captured all these stories. I did all this edit. There's a level in which I love that because when I get to the end, I'm like, this is mine. Mm-hmm. Love it or hate it, it's mine. Um, you know, if you don't like it, that's fine. But if you love it, then you love me and we're friends. Yeah. So, um, you know, there's a level of ownership. But now that I've done that twice – you know, gone through that cycle twice and mm-hmm. I've loved it. There's also a level where it's like, you know what? I would like to produce a film, but what if I could produce it faster and even cheaper by having a lot of other people help me? Mm-hmm. So I think that premise, that idea of, you know, not just crowdfunding, but kind of even crowdsourcing the project, yeah. particularly with the kind of work I do, which is where you know, we're now taking this film and using it to raise money for charity all over the world. That's something that I think a lot of people might be excited about joining us on, contributing, you know, a day of their cinematic work to go out and film something that will ultimately be part of a feature-length documentary movie that raises money for charity all over the world. I mean, that's that's exciting in some ways to have that opportunity to be part of something like that. But, um, you know, the other side of it is we could film an entire movie in a month, um, you know, in two months yeah. um, because we were essentially allowing more people to help. So I think the two pieces of it, you know, sometimes it's about money. Um, and you, so you do it all yourself because you don't have any money. But sometimes it's about time, um, you know, and realizing, hey, you know, I can finish this project more quickly if I get more help. Um and and so that's that's really exciting. So I think I, I think it's but it's also ultimately I have no regrets about what I've done mm-hmm. because having now gone through the process of two movies and having done most of it myself, I now know intimately every piece of this process. So, you know, when it comes to researching a story, planning it. So there's a level, you know, shooting it, editing it, knowing what you're going to need, knowing how to work with a composer or a colorist or an audio mixer or prepare it for theatrical or work with a distributor or whatever it is. I now know the entire cycle because I was up to my eyebrows in every bit of these two films. Um, but um, but I think now I'm after that process, I'm also starting to realize the things that excite me and the things that don't. The things that, you know, that make me feel tired and that I will avoid until the very last minute and the things that make me want to jump out of bed and say, hey, I want to go do that today. And yeah. so I, I think what I'm learning, you know, right now I'm at the end of the process with Look to the Sky. So everything makes me want to jump off a bridge. But <laughs> but once I get done with this film and I catch my breath a little bit, yeah. I think one of the, the tasks for me as I think about the projects that are upcoming are thinking through, okay, 
I've now finished two films and walked through this entire process. What of it did I really love? And I don't ever want to lose the heart of that. There was a time in my video business when I was I, I, I ultimately my video business got so big in the in the early two thousands that I was really more of a manager of that business. I was a manager of artists and creative people who were doing amazing work, and I felt great owning you know a piece of all of that artistically. But I missed having my hands on the wheel. You know, I missed. There's a level in which sometimes it feels good to have, you know, somebody drive you and that feels elegant. But then there's another time when you're like, dude, just give me the wheel and let me drive. And I missed that. And so I think there's a time to figure out, you know, hey, what do I love here that I never want to lose about this process? And then what what do I want to give away um, to save time? And, you know, what can I afford to give away to financially? Because that's always a trade off. If I may be so geeky as to invoke Star Trek II The Wrath of Khan, it sounds like when Kirk was disappointed that he became Admiral and yes. left the captain seat and longed yes. to get back in the captain seat. Yes, 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 absolutely. But, you know, it's interesting, Jay Aaron and I, Jay who, you know, made the uh, Back to the Future documentary back in time. Oh, yeah. He he and I just have these debates all the time. And it's interesting because we've had these great discussions because both of us have our roots in the wedding filmmaking world. And yet now we're both working on doc- feature-length documentaries. And right. so um, we kind of have similar paths and, you know, been on similar journeys. But he loves giving everything away. You know, he loves... You know, and he and I, I'm like, how can you find joy in that? You know, how can you find it? it but to him, it's a different process. Mm. And so, you know, but again, they had some, sometimes you have time on your side and sometimes you have uh, resources. Um, but um, yeah, it, it is interesting trying to figure out what really makes you happy because sometimes, sometimes the metric you use for measuring success doesn't actually match what internally your values say. Mm, yeah. yeah, this is what makes me happy. So you think you're supposed to be happy if you hit this metric or if you reach this level and then you get there and you're like, you know what, that didn't actually make me very happy. So sometimes we have to be humble enough to step back and say, you know what, I don't care what anybody else thinks. This is my metric for happiness based on my personal values of joy and success and contentment. And I'm going to follow that instead of doing what this other filmmaker is doing or doing what I've always thought I was supposed to do. Yeah, I like it. Um, so before we go, you know, what do you want to share about the project you're working on now you know, with the people listening regarding um, you know, the project you're currently working? Where are you now? What would you love people to do with, with regards to that? Yeah, so so when do you think, Ron, this will go out? Oh, did I lose you? Oh, I'm sorry, I had the mute on. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, uh, this will probably go out in uh, three or four weeks, this episode. Okay, good. Then I'm just going to talk about, because the crowdfunding will be done by then. Oh, okay. So I'm just going to talk about what's next, So okay. that's which is totally fine. Yeah. Um, so... Look to the Sky is going to premiere in April, and our plan with this movie is exactly the same as what we did with Legends of the Night, which I'm so excited about. 
what we did with Legends of the Night was we allowed people to request screenings of the film in the movie theater in their local community. You can just fill out a form, request a screening. It's all done by my friends at Tug, uh, who's a theatrical distributor we love. They set everything up, put all the logistics together. All you have to do is invite people to pre-order tickets online and put the screening together. We did that with Legends of the Night. The film screened in 110 cities around the world, raising $100,000 for charity. And it was... It was the coolest, coolest thing. I loved it, and it transformed the way not only I saw filmmaking, but how I saw leadership and community engagement, and you know the ability all of us have to be heroes in in our communities and in our lives. And so, which was a perfect match for the film, and it's a perfect match for this next film too. Uh, Look to the sky is going to tell the stories of young people who've demonstrated the spirit of Superman in their life. Ultimately, at the deepest level, it's a film about hope, what hope is, um, how we lose it, how we get it back, and how we bring more of it into the world, and how each of our lives can be a beacon of hope to somebody else. And so um, we're going to do the same thing. Starting in April, people will be able to request screenings uh, in their communities. They can invite their friends, and we hope it will have the same tremendous impact that Legends of the Night did. And you can learn more about Look to the Sky and uh, what we're planning to do with it by visiting our website, which is supermanisreal.com. That's awesome, man. Well, I always appreciate what you give back to the community, the filmmaking community, and, and well, now with these movies and the Rising Hero Project, the community in general, um, it's inspiring. You know, we, we're given this, you know, this artistic gift, and to be able to use it to actually make the world a better place is a pretty cool feeling. So. I appreciate well, thank you. It's it's I'm I'm thankful for our friendship. Thank you for cheering me along for so many years, and I hope I've uh, been a cheer- good cheerleader for you too. I appreciate you. Yeah, I appreciate you too, man. Well, it's great to catch up. Glad we could make the time. Yeah, me too. Give my best to Trish. I will. See you later, Ron. Take care. Bye bye. I told you that was a good one. You can watch Legends of the Night right now on Netflix. And if you want to learn more about his current film, Look to the Sky, just go to supermanisreal.com. Radio Film School is a production of Dear Dream Media and is a proud member of the Podcastica Network, a small collection of pop culture podcasts that cover topics from your favorite television shows to meditation and hell to podcast production. This and other great shows can be found at podcastica.com. Music for this episode was curated from freemusicarchive.org. Links to tracks are in the show notes. If you like what we're doing in the show, please subscribe in iTunes. And while you're there, leave us a rating and review. You can also find the show on Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and our RSS feed is on every blog post for each episode. Another great way you can support the show is by becoming a Daredreamer FM Premium member. Premium membership helps keep this show going and putting out great weekly content. For just a few bucks a month, you not only support the show, but you get access to ebooks, templates, bonus episodes, discounts, and other products and services and resources to help you grow in your crafting career. Go to daredreamer.fm slash join to learn more. You can follow me on Twitter at daredreameron, where I curate links and stories about filmmaking, photography, social media, marketing, and branding. If you just want to stay notified about what's up with the show, follow us at Radio Film School. If you like this episode, share it on Twitter or email it to a friend that you know is about to start their own crowdfunding campaign. 
That's it for this week, folks. Remember, if the story sucks, I don't care what you shot it with or cut it on. Thank you.